will say that I have shed innocent blood. What's blood for, if not for shedding? I, I just can't take no pleasure in killing. Just some things you gotta do. Don't mean you have to like it. There's nothing to worry about. You're gonna be just fine. I'm your number one fan. Welcome to another edition of Horrifying My Friends. I'm horror host Trav. Joining me as always is the theme queen herself, producer Kate. Hello there. And making his return to the show, Jack Jack. Thank you guys for having me back. I was very excited to come back, one, to do a podcast and especially to do this movie. Nice. Uh, So when did you first uh, come across this movie? Like... Um, and we're not going to the movie yet, like getting into the discussion or anything like that. But when did you first, like, uh, did you see it when it was first out or when it was getting some buzz or the first I had heard about it was when it won picture of the year. Uh Um, and so my friends and I were talking about it, talking about watching it together. And then, um, they watched it on their own time and said that it was incredible. I needed to watch it. So didn't watch it immediately i probably watched it about six months after it got that award mm-hmm. um but i've seen it probably about six or seven times since the first watch. Wow. Yeah. see i've only seen it twice so we're at a little uh, disadvantage from jack over here <laughs> so how have you been sir uh like my wife told you downstairs i greatly miss you uh, i need to have you on more uh episodes regularly uh but how you been how how have you been doing sorry i got like tongue tied there <laughs> I've been really good. Um, still just working, hanging out, watching sports on the weekends, not doing too much besides that. But um, I'm probably moving in with my girlfriend, Ooh, um, a girlfriend. in the fall. Nice. Um, I've been watching a lot of repeats. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your repeat yeah, faves? What are right your go-tos? Now, right now, my girlfriend Megan and I are watching Dexter. So okay. I've seen Dexter through several times. Um, she's seen it once before, but doesn't really remember anything. I've been rewatching The Boys, Invincible, Maniac, Watchmen, oh, all nice. my classics. Uh, <laughs> movies, everything Christopher Nolan. <laughs> <laughs> we knew that was coming. Yeah, yeah Chris Nolan, yeah. <laughs> have you seen The Batman yet? I have not. Holy all shit. my friends have seen it, but I haven't I haven't made it out to the theaters and anything for anything in years, basically since COVID. We might have to um get together and go see it with uh Rob downstairs. At have some you point. seen it? Yeah, oh yeah. I enjoyed it uh quite a bit. Um I've heard excellent things. Yeah, I've enjoyed it I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um what have you been listening to, sir? I know this is one of the things that we uh we didn't bond over because our music was so, so different, but I felt like I learned a lot from uh, Mr. Jack here because he was of that like younger kind of hip generation, you know, the, the Gen Z of psychopaths. Uh, but what have you been listening to, sir? Not branching out a whole lot again. I've been listening to the same artists I have been the last five or so years. Mm-hmm. Pretty much just rap. I listened to Denzel Curry's one of my favorites. He just came out with a new album. I know you liked a couple of his songs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot of Kendrick Lamar and a lot of J.I.D. Nice. Kate, you listened to a lot of that stuff too, right? 
Kendrick Lamar. Um, I have yeah, I have a lot of Kendrick Lamar stuff, but I haven't exactly been listening to anything lately uh, other than friggin' well, I don't know, Baby Shark. I listen to kind of the same shit over and over again. Me like too, I know, like Danzig, Metallica, like all the <laughs> Slayer. <laughs> um but yeah. A little bit later on tonight, we're going to be diving into Parasite. Uh, foreign films, HMF is broadening our minds and broadening our horizons. Uh, Jack and I just took DMT just a few minutes ago, so we're uh, waiting on that to kick in. That's um, not how that one works, but okay. <laughs> how does that work? What would we be like staring at the wall and uh, in space? Well, I haven't personally done it, but I've seen people do it. So uh, you like... Taking what? DMT. Oh. <laughs> Um, I allegedly have seen people do it. Uh, you basically, you take it and then you like immediately pass out for like, what, 15 oh, minutes? Shit. Have you like ever taken fif- it? 15 I've minutes not, or so. A lot of my friends have. Yeah. I think you're out about 15 minutes if you do it right. And then you have like an intense trip that feels like hours and then you wake oh up. Oh my God. My so- buddy was telling me that he did it. He's only done it twice, but he did it both those times in the same day. And the first time he just sprinkled like a little bit on top of some weed, took it and just felt like he got like crazy baked and then the second time he broke through um and that's when he like passed out and had out-of-body experiences with seeing like weird shapes and stuff that were communicating with him everyone says they see a lot of geometrics and then they see something that makes them think of the universe differently or like yeah like profound yeah yeah like uh self-discovery and stuff like that i i smoked something laced one time at a party well, it was like a little get together, and I like uh, took a AKA nap. A low tolerance. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I took a nap in the guy's bathroom, but uh, and then I, and then on his car outside. So it was a good time. So I uh, I gave you guys like a little homework, um, uh, like a little subject to kind of talk about, and this was uh, uh what is a horror movie uh, in your opinion? Uh, so many fit the criteria, but what makes one to you personally? Uh, right off the bat, this is all opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pretty impossible to really nail down a question like this, but I thought it'd be an interesting exercise uh, because it is really, really hard. Um, Jack, do we want to start with you? Yeah, but man, that was a tough question. I, yeah. I thought it would be an obvious answer, and then the more I thought about it, I thought between different kinds of horror movies that I've seen and um, thought that they were all extremely different and didn't really give me the same feelings in any of them. Um and so from that point, I started to look at what do they all have in common. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I came up with is basically death, mm-hmm. usually by killing, mm-hmm. is involved in horror movies. Um, I think it, the aim is usually some form of disgust. Um, usually they are like, I think, uncomfy movies. Like mm-hmm. they want to make you uncomfortable. Like, um, think hereditary and shit like that. Yeah. yeah. For sure. So, like, a movie that's not necessarily scary or, like, Midsummer that's not scary, but, like, they're mind fucks and they make you feel uncomfy and, like, sometimes hard to watch scenes. hmm So, it was a really tough question, so I kind of just gave key words that I thought played in with most horror movies that I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, obviously, there's to be scary but you know mm-hmm. a lot of horror movies i've seen aren't scary i don't think parasite is scary mm-hmm. um but would you consider parasite a horror movie no yeah i would not i would um, probably agree i would probably agree it has uh horrific like sections of it and stuff but i would probably and it's agree with that. very suspenseful 
Um, it's got some brutal scenes. I'm not, not going to jump ahead. Um, Brutality but like, was another adjective I wanted it's, to use. Yeah, there's brutal and very like in-your-face, visually kind of gory things happening. And the music is very horror-esque. Yeah, tension. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you guys... I you have the dvd so you probably watched the dvd but i i the watched the blu-ray ma'am sorry the blu-ray <laughs> oh my god i watched it on hulu and it's um categorized as a comedy <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah i think it's darkly comedic i think that's the beginning one of those... is but it's to me not at all at the end but anyway yeah and like um <clears throat> parasite you, you could go either way right like i go i flip back and forth like sometimes i'm like i'm pretty loose with my definition as you guys will see here in a minute mm-hmm. but like uh i flip back and forth i think and that's i think that's one of the special things about this film is that like it can fit into you know a lot of different kind of stuff uh producer kate uh this was tough for me as well but it's not the first time you and i have discussed it or like talked about mm-hmm. it because for instance a lot of psychological thrillers we would consider also horror um but for me it came down to is the core theme or message something that's horrifying to me like does it make me squirm to picture myself in that situation or um, someone I love in that situation Um, do I have a visceral reaction to what I'm watching and bonus points if you can visually kind of horrify me with kills or death or blood or whatever but there's plenty of horror movies we've covered that have a lot of implied horror where you don't see a thing um, but it's just so obviously like horrifying Mm mm-hmm so, I mean, maybe that's a cop-out using horrifying in no, my definition, good. but it you're is good. what it is. That's kind of how I would define it, which I think it includes a lot of things yeah. that traditionally experts in film, quote-unquote, would say are not horror. Because no, they think of it kind I of think, as this... I think you made a really good point with, yeah. um, from some perspectives, it could be a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Because like, if you look at the, like, the host family, I guess, the rich family in this mm-hmm. movie... Then it's if you look at it, if they were the main characters, then it would absolutely be a horror movie because mm-hmm. you notice them talking about like a ghost in the house or a ghost brings wealth or whatever, mm-hmm. and then people living in their basement, husband gets murdered. <laughs> yeah, but oh, yeah. yeah, I think like from I think that was a really good point from certain perspectives. So good job, guys. Uh, a, a few listeners kind of um, I, I reached out to a few listeners, a few of the fans of the show, uh, a few of the friends of the show, I should say. Uh, Andrew Ball, um, I, I feel like his probably lined up cl- as close to mine as possible. Um, not as close to mine as possible, I shouldn't say that, but um, we pretty, pretty close in our definitions of what makes a horror movie. He says, to me, fear is an involuntary emotional response to a violation of uh, of the unspoken rules of the world. That person cannot come into my home, that animal cannot be that big or fearsome corpses cannot reanimate and attack us etc a horror movie is any movie that seeks to utilize our fears to invoke an emotional response like surprise dread thrill or disgust so that was andrew bald i thought that was really well done um david james a friend of the show uh for me horror is an ordinary person thrown into a situation that most people would never expect to happen body horror and transformation as well as dis disfigurement always disturbed the hell out of me in the case of something like the exorcist which is a favorite of his when i was in my early teens and the thought that something could possess your body terrified me watching it later years after i had a daughter the horror took on a whole different angle that of a parent's worst nightmare it's all perspectives based on a person's current situation when viewing i guess 
the fatal follower himself, my brother, uh, sent me a lot. We argued for quite a while about this question yesterday. <laughs> Your opinion is wrong. Yeah. <laughs> no, and I love him. It, you know, the, like I said, it's all opinion. But simply put, to him, a horror movie is defined by the tools that work in the film. So atmosphere, music, pacing, tone, etc. Uh, his definition isn't as broad and doesn't blend genres or allow for overlap as much as mine, which I'll read here in a minute. And and that's okay. Uh, for example, to Bub, Invisible Man from 2018 or 2019 isn't a horror film, but more of a thriller, to which we argued uh, quite a bit about. <laughs> uh, so my, uh, but like I said, none of these are wrong. And um, my definition is, uh, it starts off first with a cop-out. It's all subjective and should be taken on a case-by-case basis, of course, giving myself an out. Uh, but I feel that any film which tries to elicit an emotional response of fear, fear discomfort, shock, etc. in the audience could be considered a horror film. And in my mind, absolutely is a horror film. Keep in mind, there are many, many different subgenres of horror. But to me, Silence of the Lambs, films like Silence of the Lambs, Requiem for a Dream, Eraserhead, Seven, films that sort of sit on that barrier of between genres can still be classified as a type of horror film. So very, very liberal, very loose definition for me, but uh, that's genuinely how I feel. That's why I think Parasite is one of those perfect movies that kind of sits on that. And Donnie Darko, like the movie that we covered before, like, you know, I wouldn't argue with you if you were like Donnie Darko is a horror movie or, you know, like whatever. What did, what did you guys think about? What did you think about that, Producer Kate? I would say mine is, my definition is kind of just as much a cop out. It's like, what does it mean to me? Like, Mm -hmm. if I'm horrified, then it counts as horror. Mm -hmm. But I had a discussion recently with two friends of the show, Danny Hinton and my husband, Brian Brooks. And they were arguing that Jurassic Park is, could, like, should be considered a horror movie. Um, And we debated because I don't agree, because to me, that scenario is not horrifying. But I, also don't ever would never picture myself like being a kid being chased by dinosaurs you know like it's just <laughs> it, what was, you think about it that? wasn't scary to me i've so. never thought about it being a horror movie because it doesn't give me the feeling that a horror movie gives me but what would you guys think <clears throat> about like gory war movies being horror movies um i think uh i think you could argue a few like um shit what's that movie called uh francis ford coppola uh apocalypse now like type stuff i think there's some elements of like um uh full metal jacket i think you could argue like the the whole basic training stuff where the guy commits suicide and stuff like that very very horrifying yeah we did an episode on survivor yeah we did an episode on jacob's ladder which is a vietnam jacob's ladder yeah um being horror so yeah i would say like most war movies to me um i don't watch them because they make me that uncomfortable um because it's too real yeah. uh and it's horrifying to me i don't like i would say on war, most war, i wouldn't classify it though. war movies are typically ca- like uh categorized as what dramas yeah um action yeah action and drama but and when you're the, seeing people get blown to bits like is that not horrifying horrifying yeah and no, i would like um i would uh, say most thunder yeah, yeah, Tropic Thunder. <laughs> I would say most war movies probably wouldn't be, but like one movie that uh, Bub and I argued quite a bit about, uh, my brother, the fatal follower himself, argued a bit about was Wickerham for a Dream. And mm. uh, he said, like, why is it a horror movie? And I was like, dude, it's like body horror where it shows 
you Jared Leto's arm where he keeps mm-hmm. on shooting up and shooting up in the same spot and it's spreading on his arm. It shows you like the effects of methamphetamine where her fridge is literally walking towards her. So the director like puts you in that world where drugs are like affecting the people that are taking them and everyone around them. And it's like, uh, it's dropping you into that place and giving you that feeling of like, you know, just, just complete despair. And like, it's just a fucked up movie. Like, yeah, it's disorienting. I'm like, if that's scary. not a horror movie, like, I don't know. You know what I mean? Have you seen that one? No, I haven't, Ooh, but it you, sounded really interesting. You would Jesus, like it. Dude, that, oh yeah. my God, what it's was a downer. Uh, Rec Room for a Dream. I mean, it's good though. Darren Aronofsky. Um, he directed Mother and um, The Fountain. Uh, Noah. He, he did a bunch of good stuff. Black Swan. Oh, um, Black Swan was a weird one. Uh, again, <laughs> that's another one. It's like uh, arguably, you know, I would get, I would for sure consider it a horror film. But I just too. think there's no... There's almost no movie that's just one that just fits in one thing. Yeah, and that's the thing too. Like, because uh, not every thriller like you you would consider hor- horrifying or any. Yeah, a lot of that. slashers are comedies. Like yeah, yeah. you know. But yeah, good exercise. Uh, I want to thank you guys for doing that. Um, let's get into tonight's main topic, and that is Parasite, uh, 2019, directed by Bong Joon Ho. I think is how you say his name. Uh, synopsis: Greed and class discrimination threaten the newly formed symbiotic relationship between the wealthy Park family and the destructive Kim clan. Uh, one huge at the Oscars, winning uh, Best Picture, Best Achievement in Directing, Best Original Screenplay. Uh, Parasite became the first foreign language film to win Best Picture. Uh, the film was so popular um, that the president at the time, uh, remember that guy. Wasn't a fan of the film or at winning Best Picture. I just came across this in the research. I thought it was hilarious. Uh, He said, how bad were the Academy Awards this year? Did you see? And the winner is a movie from South Korea. I'm looking for like, let's get Gone with the Wind. Can we get like Gone with the Wind back, please? And I was like, ew. (laughs) Can we get a movie about how, about like enslaving people and then setting them free, um, but just focusing on all the rich whiteies? Gone with the Wind. (laughs) Uh, so of course he doesn't like a film with themes about you know capitalism and like oh, yeah. the toxicity of Western culture. People <laughs> like, were calling for the director to run for presidency after this movie won the award. Oh yeah. Uh, so Par- Parasite had all the endorsement it needed. Uh, cast. This is the section of the show where um, I butcher everyone's name that appears in the film. Um, the cast: Song Kang Ho as Kim Ki Tak. Uh, Cho Wu Sheik as Kim Ki Woo, uh, Lee Soon Kun as Park Dong Ik, uh, and Cho Yo Jong as Choi Young Yo. Uh, my connection: I first came across Bong Joon Ho with the his brilliant monster film Host, uh, much like Toho's Godzilla. Uh, deals with the evils of man and the paying of consequences for our actions to the environment and our fellow man. Uh, that film, brilliant monster movie, deals with class as well, um, uh, along with a bunch of his other films like Snowpiercer, I, th- I know we brought up earlier. Um, a brilliant film. Uh, when Parents Light came out, I didn't see it for a few years, uh, up until recently, a couple weeks ago. Um, it was this gentleman here sitting today who convinced me that it was one that I had to check off the list, like for the longest fucking time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so thank you for that, sir. Of course. The original idea for Parasite started conceptually as a play as Bong Joon-ho was finishing up Snowpiercer. 
which I could see uh, easily see them still making a play very easily to this day. Uh, Bong Joon-ho is a big fan of comics since childhood, and in the special feature interview on the wonderful Criterion Edition Blu-ray of the film, he explains that when he's writing a screenplay, he's putting himself in the mindset of being a novelist, and when he's doing the storyboard for his films, he pretends that he's a comic book artist in a way, uh, in the way that he's putting it together. Very meticulous. His storyboards are so developed and in-depth that they actually released it as a graphic novel uh, available at your local bookstores. Uh, I do not have one present yet because horror host Trav is a absolute failure. Uh, <laughs> the rich house, the poor house, and the neighborhood surrounding the poor house were all designed and built. Uh, none of the locations actually existed. The first floor of the rich house was built on an indoor lot that used uh, that was used f- for the film sets. Around that, they created the garden and planted the trees, and that was the film's main stage. The second floor of that house and the basement was were actually built on a separate soundstage. Um, the film makes several nods to Alfred Hitchcock throughout. Stairs are used as a motif, which we'll get into later. Voyeurism is used as characters watch scenes happening uh, through windows, and most obviously... There is a brief glimpse of an out-of-place Alfred Hitchcock collection in the uh, in the park's home, which you can see. if uh, It's very, very obvious if you watch it back. Uh, speaking of black and white, a black and white edition is actually, actually appears on the Criterion Edition, and I uh, recommend every listener to uh, get that copy because uh, Bong, uh, Bong Joon-ho actually uh, hoped with the colors gone that viewers can see more clearly the contrast of the living conditions and stuff. He thought that that would add like a cool dynamic to it. And, uh, he's always been a big fan of black and white films. So with all that being said, um, Jack, what was your, uh, well, actually we should start with producer Kate because Jack kind of brought this film to us. So in a way he's kind of horrifying <laughs> us with parasite. Uh, Kate, True. what was your initial reaction? Uh, so I was telling the guys before this is, my first time seeing it only time seeing it so far Mm -hmm. honestly didn't even know i don't really follow like the oscars and like what wins what um unless it's like unless will smith smacks the (laughs) shit out of chris rock (laughs) uh genuinely couldn't tell you what won best picture this year like obviously i saw that i don't know um because i just don't follow it so i didn't know parasite you know won anything Mm -hmm. and i'm really glad i've seen it it's excellent uh it goes by so fast like fully entertained all it was kind of like a three act like I, that's how my brain kind of categorized it and like every part was so good mm-hmm. um it starts out like really comical and you're like really siding with the poor um people who are just trying to like get a break and you know scrape and scrap their way to you know stability and then you're see- you're seeing like some infighting amongst like the the poorer classes that are like represented in the film and then ultimately it gets like really bloody and gory and like frightening at the end um and then it ends like kind of tragically it will very <laughs> tragically but like they they oh. almost try to end it and i don't want to jump too far ahead of myself but they almost try to end it with this like hopeful sunny kind of but really oh, kind of pathetic one. thing that's probably not going to happen. I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Nah. So um, kind we of like first... wishful thinking, if anything. But yeah, yeah loved it. 
Um, so it goes from dark comedy to unsettling horror to uh, like a heartbreaking ending uh, for me. I love, um, the, and this is something about foreign films. This is the reason why I wanted to get into more of the more foreign films on the show is like the ballsiness and risk taking um, of foreign cinema, especially Korean cinema. It's like, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, you can fall into a lot of like the traps and the standards and the tropes of American cinema. Like, just look at like the Marvel formula. Like, nothing against Marvel, you know, it's like they're so successful and stuff like that. But it's like, you know, hero uh, is underestimated. Hero gets the hero title. Hero defeats the bad guy. You know, it's like, it's just very yeah. like. The good guy is good. Uh, the bad guy yeah, is bad. it's like very yeah. just boring and shit. I feel like that. When I'm watching like a foreign film like Parasite, I don't know where the fuck it's going. Like I have no idea where it's going, and that's there's something beautiful about that. Um, Jack, how did this? Um, was it even better, or uh, is it still holding up after the seventh time you've watched it? You said you've seen it seven times. It still holds up, absolutely. I'd say probably my second and third watches were my favorite. Because um, usually, whenever I watch a film for the first time, I'm just looking for some crazy shit. And then (laughs) the second and third watches, I'm looking for foreshadowing and Uh um, other minor details. Mm -hmm. But I still enjoy watching it every single time. I wait for the doorbell scene, and Mm -hmm. after that, shit hits the fan. And I think that's, I believe he's done an interview saying that that was his intention for the movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it really ramps up, man, and the music and all that stuff as soon as that scene happens. Like, when I go to see movies and, like, I'm baked, I'll, like, come out of it and you know i'm all fucking lightweight and stuff i'll come out of it and like not remember anything that happened so like well, i can't do that a problem yeah a problem with it is something will happen and then you spend you're watching the screen but then you spend the next five minutes thinking about that thing and then you don't take in anything that happens yeah, like which is hard to do when it's in a language you don't speak <laughs> I, i'm glad you brought that up because something that um i also love and um viewers will uh, we covered let the right one in on last week's show and it was uh, the same with subtitles and stuff and because of that it's like in this also like you know you factor it in as an american it's that it's kind of like the old way of watching a movie because you have to fucking pay attention and put your phone down and i like 100 percent love that love it. because i fall into the trap too even though like i love love movies I'll, I'll get on my phone and like look up stuff in the movie or like during the movie like look up like an actress or look up an actor look up his past works and it's like oh, just put the fucking phone down and i'll enjoy give you the a movie. pass on that but i can't watch movies with my roommates because they're on their phone the entire time and it's crazy that just even them being like on the other side of the room on their phone distracts oh, me so much yeah i hate that yeah I hate when I'm like introducing a movie I really like oh or uh, that I love, God peeve. forbid, to to people in my life and they don't pay attention to it. Biggest pet yeah. peeve. And I will clarify, I'm not usually one of those guys, but no, it's like you're not. when you're like um, when you're trying to watch a movie and you're like, man, I really want to be doing other uh, like something else. Yeah. It's very easy to like walk away like and do something on your phone. Yeah, like if you're by yourself. <clears throat> so why don't you guys uh, kind of... Uh, like uh, producer Kate has a like kind of like a segment of the show where she goes through the plot and Jack, we can kind of interject on like a scene that we thought was like powerful or like we loved how the director transitioned or wrote the scene or whatever. But uh, Kate, would you like to give a uh, brief synopsis of the, of the plot? Sure. Um, and I'll, this one will be more brief than I typically do just because I'm going to kind of describe it in those three parts as I kind of see it. Mm-hmm. So the first third you're introduced to this family 
Um, they're all kind of barely employed, basically not employed. Um, they live in kind of a slum and they're desperate for work. Uh, it's just, it's a problem of the city they live in that there just are not enough jobs. Like the dad mentions, um, it's a dad, a mom, a a son and daughter, the son and daughter are grown. Um, but they mention, uh, the dad mentions at one point, like, a simple job. I forget what he says, but basically like a dishwasher job pops up and like, mm-hmm. um, you've got 30 college education, educated graduates trying to get that job. That's like how hard the market is. Uh, the son, Ki Wu, I think, right, is his name. He, I believe so, yeah. Uh, Just call him Kevin. Kevin. <laughs> yeah, they give him American names later on. But anyway, um, his friend uh, comes by, gives them this like rock artifact that's supposed to be like bring good fortune Mm -hmm. uh to the family he brings that over and he's like hey dude i've been tutoring this girl that i'm really into she's only in high school when she gets to college i want to ask her out um but i've got to go study abroad can you i trust you to kind of protect her like keep her away from the boys Mm -hmm. like (laughs) talk about how weird this is yes it's very weird college dude is hitting on what is she like a sophomore in she's high high, school well there's that's what i got the impression that she's a sophomore yeah passes her off to his buddy and then he falls in love with her and he's like the same age right well we don't know necessarily who's falling in love with her i think he's angling for something but regardless he's like go I'm going to give you my recommendation. Have your sister, who's like a graphic designer of sorts, like she's Mm -hmm. self-taught, forge your, you know, diploma or whatever and um, go apply. They'll definitely hire you because the mom is like really gullible and Mm kind of dumb. Um, And they'll hire you as her English tutor. And so he does and he gets the job and he is able to dupe her. He's very kind of prepared. It's a con for sure. And then he like he has already thought ahead like I'm going to con while I get this job, I'm going to con my sister's way in to be the art teacher of the the younger son. So this mm-hmm. rich family, um, I should introduce them. It's a kind of the the dad is pretty rich. He's in tech, like electronics, like hard hardware. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and the mom is like a stay at home mom. Like all she does is think about her kids. They have a housekeeper. And, and then. Yeah, and take both. <laughs> like and, every uh, suburban mom does here. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> uh, then they have the, the teenage daughter and like a younger son who's probably like, like nine or ten or something. I forget how old he is, but he's younger. So he's like, I'm going to angle for my sister to come in and be the art teacher of the of the younger son in the rich family, the rich son. And she comes in, gets that job because she has like kind of winged a con of her own and as she's being driven home at night by their driver the rich family's driver creepy driver she (laughs) sets up another con uh so uh she leaves her underwear in the car because of course the the you know the rich dad is going to find them and be and fire the driver and she's like my dad used to be a driver he's going to be hired as the driver and so they get him in that way and then the last and final con is getting this housekeeper and she's really dug in she's been there forever even before this family owned the home right and um they do some really shady very unethical very dangerous stuff uh they basically poison her with peaches which she's allergic to uh and then they uh, frame it to the mom and they like lie to her to make her think that her housekeeper has active TB, tuberculosis, which would be dangerous 
you know, to the people in this society. I don't know. Maybe they're not, their kids don't get vaccinated. I don't know. By the way, uh, like that was something I didn't think that people could be fucking like allergic to peaches. No. Yeah, you definitely can. But apparently that was a, uh, that was based on a story by the director. He, uh, one of his buddies, I guess like in college or something that said that they were on some trip and he said that he was allergic to peaches and they didn't believe him. So they like threw a bunch of peaches at him and then he like mm-hmm. had a convulsion or something. Jesus. <laughs> I was like, fuck. God. You got brain. Ma- the camera. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Males. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so finally, uh, the mother's like, Oh, I can't have her in my house. Like what about my son? She could, you know, get us all sick whatever i'll just get rid of her discreetly and she fires her so like they're firing staff not like left and right and hiring this whole family but they're not being transparent that they are family they all Mm -hmm. like to this rich family as far as they know these are like people that are just like loose acquaintances of each other i thought that was very uh like a a very brilliant kind of a story like Mm story-wise i felt like that that was very unique um and jack you can uh say anything about it if you if you want to but like the like i feel like then in a lot of movies we've seen this but it's been like just one person or like what like the the matriarch of the family or the patriarch of the family or something like that has infiltrated but to infiltrate like at every level i thought was like so interesting that he chose to do that but yeah i love that part the build up to it is awesome and how they all get into their positions i love a lot but I think that because usually you're right, you do usually see just one person go in and do the con themselves. But I think it's like kind of trying to show the culture in mm-hmm. South Korea and show how like much of a difference there is between the poor and the rich and how willing the poor are to become rich. Mm-hmm. Or to even just get any semblance of stability. Right. Like how desperate, like is your society successful? Is your... Are your systems successful if people right. are so poor that they are doing these kinds of desperate, arguably criminal things? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> anyway, so this is going to be a very thematic, thematic <laughs> heavy show. So, so uh, kind of the the next part, as I see it, is um, where shit kind of hits the fan. So the rich family goes on a camping trip. Mm-hmm. And leaves the, you know, the poor mom, now housekeeper, at the house to house it. And, of course, the rest of the family comes over and fucking decides to party. They get comfortable real quick, number one. Uh, and they are all just kind of squatting in the house, partying, drinking, making messes. And and even in that p- scene, sorry to interrupt. Uh, go ahead. Even in that scene, it, like, shows you, like, they're not used to living like that. So, it's, like, it's almost like they're just, like, let's get fucking wasted and throw mm-hmm. food everywhere. And, like, I was just, like, oh, my God, dude. I'm getting so fucking anxious at this part. Yeah. Like, I mean, because if you really want to keep these jobs, you'd play it safe, you would think. But, like, that's not their mindset. They think they're pretty. They've got, they've been able to manipulate this family, you know, so mm-hmm. easily thus far. They think they're kind of, they got it on lock. Greed. Well, oh, Yeah. yeah. It starts piss pouring rain and uh, up come, yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Up comes to the, you know, to ring the doorbell is the housekeeper that they put on the street. Mm-hmm. And Who, by she, the way, looked possessed yes. in that scene. You that know, scene was creepy. Man. You know, yeah. instantly she is there for some seedy 
planned purpose she's not there just to quote unquote get something she forgot like that's the story she tells and they're all just like i don't know just let her in to get what she needs and then kick her back out like they're also impaired so they're not exactly looking at her they think she's just another fool that they tricked not that she could be just as crafty as them um and so she gets in and literally things get nuts she like gets into the basement into this hidden bunker that like no one else even the homeowners don't know is there and you find out she's been hiding her husband there for better part of a couple decades i I don't know like a really really long time i think it was like four years three months 17 days was it it seemed like longer (laughs) (laughs) but yeah he's been down there and you know she's been able to hide it from this rich family and he's been down there starving since she got fired. And so, you know, the the house, I think it's the housekeeper. Yeah, the housekeeper. She's the only one who um, the old housekeeper thinks is there is the, mm-hmm. the like the poor mom is down there like, what the fuck, you know, trying to negotiate. But she's like, they're they're both um, not trusting each other at this point. Um, the house, the fired housekeeper, you know, whose husband's in the basement is like, begging for their mercy like please please just let me keep him here just help me take care of him like please sis sis they call each other sis the tables turn real quick when the rest of the poor family the conning family uh they were standing on the stairs this is another a lot of like symbolism with the stairs oh yeah um they were eavesdropping on the conversation and the son clumsy motherfucker that he is throughout this whole movie like falls down and then the old housekeeper knows exactly what's up because they're calling each other like dad and you know, whatever. She's like, you're a family. You planned all this. I've got you on camera and I'm going to send it to the rich family right now. If you don't do this. So she blackmails them. I hold on. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I think it's um, really interesting too, that the old housekeeper says like help out a fellow like needy. Mm-hmm. And she's like, fuck that. Like I'm not needy, but like, I think it kind of goes to show even in the one of the beginning scenes when the dude's like outside their house pissing mm-hmm. that like the poor hate each other just as much as the rich hate the poor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like uh, I, one of the things I wanted to point out um, during that whole like buildup of scenes, I think Jack mentioned it earlier, but it's like that it's a brilliant fucking shift in the tone of the film. And it starts with, if I remember correctly, it starts with the lightning strike. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it, it's almost like the lightning strike is like a cue to then change into this like and they acknowledge thriller. The lightning strike. Yeah, it's like this thriller type horror flick of like um, like almost a reverse home invasion type thing. Like it's like uh, the music shifts, everything <laughs> yeah, shifts, every, visually, like, audio, literally everything. everything shifts, and it's like very dark, very ominous. A lot of uh, throwbacks to like a lot of the tension-filled Hitchcock kind of films, but uh, yeah. So mm-hmm. we go into we meet the two needing families, and of course it's fucking raining. Mm-hmm. So it's like the whole time the way that he builds you and gives you this tension, you something clicks. You've seen enough movies and stuff. Something clicks in you. You hear the rain something clicks that this family is not going to be out for very long. And I love that because it's like, you're thinking about that. At least I was, I don't know. You guys can speak to that. I was thinking about that the entire time. Like these, this family is going to fucking come back and wrap that shit up, man. Yeah. Cause it's not just like a light rain, mm-hmm. even though she says like, my son loves to be out in the rain. It's like monsoon kind of rain. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But uh, regardless, the um, the old housekeeper and her husband take the family upstairs and are kind of like toying with the mm-hmm. family that they're blackmailing, the uh, the conning family, I'm call, I'll call them, uh, and threatening to send this message. And they're like, we can do anything. And they're acting like the world's their fucking oyster, even though like it's not clicked with any of them. Oh, this family could come back any moment. Mm-hmm. So uh, an opportunity presents itself to the conning family to tackle and just start a, like a brawl to get this phone and delete these videos. All the while the newer family like calls and says that they'll be home in like eight minutes. Or whatever. Yeah. This happens after the conning family has kind of taken control of the situation. They've got the phone and the video and they are like in the process of kind of, you know, tying up and controlling the other two. And, like Trav said, they get the phone call. The family's like eight minutes away. And at the same time, she's also asking, like, I want a meal on the table when I get home. Yeah. So it's this mad dash scene. Um, if it weren't so fucked up, it'd be like Benny Hill style. They're like, yeah. everyone's like like frantically cleaning up. And they're, and then the dad is, try, is trying to like wrangle these two people back down to the bunker to hide them and shut them up. And we can skip ahead a little bit because yeah. I do want to hit like a lot of key scenes. Yeah, well, on. I'm I'm going to avoid talking about some of the key scenes that happen, mm-hmm. especially the more violent ones, because I want us to actually talk about them because I'm sure they'd be popping up in one of our favorites mm-hmm. at some point. Um, but anyway, family gets home. They are tricked pretty much. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But the conning family, you know, the three that weren't supposed to be there are hiding at this point under a table. Like they're not, they weren't able to get out before. Um, so thus the rich family's son wanted to camp out in the yard in the rain. And so the mom and dad decide to sleep on the couch. So this tension and tension. Yeah, there's tension. tension. They're like trying to hide, trying to be quiet. They're in the same room. There's a little bit of a, like a strange sex scene. We can talk about it. Um, and then they fall as the, the rich parents fall asleep and they're able to kind of sneak out and they're running home. They get home and they find out their entire apartment is flooded and it Which floods. So gross. It yeah. floods all the way. Oh, Cause dude, it's with brown water. It's sewage water. Yeah. Like yeah. the sewers had, you know, broken down and they've lost almost everything. They get out what they can, including that rock. Mm-hmm. And the three of them go to just like this, area that the city's put together for everyone who's been displaced and you're thinking in your head like yeah. okay they have to still like they still have jobs with this family so how the fuck are they going to manage this kind yep. of thing mm-hmm. and that's where we get into like the final kind of act exactly you so know, you have film. exactly you have this juxtaposition now of these poor people who have lost literally everything there's some profound there's a profound scene with the dad and the son um there's some profound dialogue i'll say about uh planning uh and the the fruitfulness of planning and how you know nothing fucking matters like you can see this has hit them hard Mm -hmm. especially the dad because the the younger his children you know are adults but they're also young like they're a little naive in that they're like dad you have a plan you said you had a plan like what are we gonna do they're still looking to him for guidance and like leadership and he's just like there's nothing we can fucking do but wing it like we do everything else it's really sad um and then 
they start getting phone calls from this rich family. Here's the juxtaposition. This rich family apparently don't read the news. They don't give a shit about what's going on with poor people in the city. And the fact that this rain has like displaced what looks like hundreds, if not thousands of people. Mm -hmm. Um, And they don't give a flying fuck because they want to throw an impromptu bougie little birthday party for their baby boy. Uh, And so they're spending all this money going around town. They're calling in the whole, you know, family that, you know, they've employed. Which, by the way, was such a caramel mom clip <laughs> oh my god <laughs> did you guys so, have parties like that and stuff not, not me some uh-huh. people i'm sure did. Yeah. yeah so um yeah they're just they scrape themselves together somehow and they are doing their jobs trying to act like nothing out of the ordinary has happened but at the same time they're worrying about you know their lives and their homes they're also worried about um, maintaining the con and they're also worried about these two people in the fucking basement mm-hmm. and the fact that like one of them could legit be dead and the other one is literally crazy uh he's insane uh, from all the isolation i would presume but from there the party happens mm-hmm. um and the son the poor son i should say uh the older one kiwu uh, Kevin, whatever they're, they all have so many names. Uh, he has decided he's brought his rock with him. Um, he's decided to go down to the basement and take care of things himself. But again, I'm not with sure. No plan. Yeah, no. He's going on the dad thing, which is like no plan. Yeah. What do you think his? Like, I don't know what he, he was, was going to do with that big rock. You think he was going to kill him, or I kind of think. Um, I think probably mostly he was concerned yeah um yeah i think part of him was like i want to make sure they're okay but part of him is like well why are you taking that big rock then but mm-hmm. um was, well <clears throat> he didn't take the rock the rock brought itself do you want to uh, yeah he said i can't separate myself from this rock or whatever um at one point but he you know he gives himself away because again he's clumsy and the rock falls down the stairs yeah. which <laughs> alerts oh, which is alerts yeah. the um the two that are down there that he's there and they're able to formulate a plan as he's creeping down the stairs thinking that they didn't hear that i don't know uh well anyway they a a, sh- a, a scuffle happens i th- i think the housekeeper di- dies down there right she gets killed down there one way or another she's already like pretty gravely injured anyway and then uh the crazy husband mm-hmm tries to like choke out the the young guy and he's able the young guy's able to run up the stairs but it's so so brilliant i'm not going to get too much into the details basically he gets upstairs but you know crazy guy's too fast for him and he knocks him in the head with that huge rock like a couple times it's right like it's like no cuts really it's like just Mm -hmm. it it looks shocking how real it looked but anyway uh he thinks he's dead i presume and he's like all right well at least he's incapacitated let me go up to this party he grabs a knife goes outside starts fucking stabbing you know jessica slash this scene is incredibly fucked up she's the you know the tutor of the little boy stabs her tries to go out the dad you know is you know trying to protect his family so is the the mom sorry say the poor mom and the poor dad kind of snap into family mode and then in the meantime all the rich people are running around freaking out <laughs> let's uh let's have jack describe from then on uh-huh. like to the ending of the film yeah so you take it over from here jack please do 
so I think it's really interesting. Um, right before Mr. Park gets killed by Kim, Mr. Kim, um, he grabs his car keys from under the dead prisoner's body uh-huh. and is like plugging his nose and oh um that just sets mr kim over the edge mm. because previously in the movie they talk he talks about how mr kim's smell crosses the line um he smells poor he smells like rotting yeah. radishes so this is a humiliating scene for mr kim mm-hmm. right um because he's, he's wearing like this indian headdress well, and stuff and... hang on uh so i'm flashing back to the scene where they're hiding under the table um, mm-hmm. where they're not supposed to be. He's there with his two children. And obviously these rich people don't know that they're there and they're just talking so callously and like nonchalant about uh, these poor people that they employ and how the dad uh, is smelly and he the smells smell like poor. he smells like poor people and oh all poor people who ride the subway or mm-hmm. the you know the trains they all smell that way like and it's just hum- he's laying there humiliated and that's like becomes a big trigger for him that you know jack's pointing out happens and triggers him at the very end and i think he also part of it is he also starts to buy into what the old housekeeper's husband was talking about when it was just them down there um after right after he had like tied him up and everything um, so basically Mr. Kim gets sent over the edge, picks up the knife, kills Mr. Park, runs away. No one can find him. The CCTV that was outside their garage was cut previously in the movie by the old housekeeper. Mm-hmm. Um, so he knows this. Probably my favorite scene in the whole movie was when the daughter of the rich family is carrying Kevin out <laughs> with his head just gushing blood. Yeah. Oh my god, she was a champ for that. Mm-hmm. But um, after that happens, you don't really know where um, Mr. Kim gets off to, but the son Kevin miraculously survives. I have mm-hmm. no idea how. Yeah, I, I have no idea. Um, but. So does his mom, who yeah. she was stabbed, she but it was she had a yeah. slice. Mm-hmm. Um, daughter dies, dad's not found. So um, it kind of goes into him. You, at first, you think it, it fast forwards in time, and uh, he actually like became a successful businessman or something. Bought the house, saved his dad, but he. Sorry, I skipped something. He <laughs> goes back to the house and notices that his dad is leaving him a Morse code message every night. Mm-hmm. Um, so he knows that his dad took up residence there in the basement. And so he makes this plan to become super wealthy, like go to college, buy the house, and live in harmony with his dad and his mom. And then it cuts back, and it was just him thinking about it and he's still basically just gotten out of the hospital brain damage Mm -hmm. um no real possibilities for it but by the way i fucking loved that um and i was gonna be i was actually gonna come in here with a really hot take um if uh like when i watched it like i said i watched this for the first time like two weeks ago and i was like preparing at that moment when it like it looks like it's gonna end in a hopeful way and they're like hugging, I was like, this is fucking bullshit. <laughs> and then it shows you again, like, okay, that's what he's hoping will happen. And the director has made clear, like he's given interviews, like, 
that's never going to happen. Like, right. well, like, and you just know it instinctively. Yeah. It's just like this really desperate, you know, thought that this son who loves his dad, which has. Yeah, yeah. And it all comes back to um, the conversation that the dad and the son have when in that shelter after the flood. And the dad tells him that the best kind of plan is no plan. Mm-hmm. And so I think it was really well done where you can see him making this big plan that involves like a good chunk of his life mm-hmm. that is not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he'd probably be wasting his time if you were to try and actually achieve that. So let's, uh, with that, do we want to get into, do we want to further spotlight a few scenes or do we want to get into the meat, which will be like the themes of this movie? Let's talk a few highlight scenes before themes. Okay. Can I go first? The themes are heavy. Yes. Go. Okay. So my favorite <laughs> scene in this movie is without a doubt, them scrambling, them brushing everything under the couches, they're in a mad dash, like Kate said, because they realize that the family's coming home. They're on the way back. They're eight minutes away. You're getting out of breath as the fucking audience as they're trying to clean up this house in the amount of time that it takes for that family to get back. And it's what it is. Like I, I mentioned it earlier, it's a reverse home invasion. So it's like they don't want to be caught in the house like it. it in the house that they're like, um, not invade, like they're invading privacy, but like, it's like, uh, they're hiding under this table. And again, it like touches on one of the themes of the film, which is like the upstairs, downstairs kind of class thing that we'll get to a little bit later. Mm. And it's just a fucking tension filled, like roller coaster. And it's a perfect scene for cinephiles. Um, I can see why uh, a buddy of mine, Andrew Ball, listed this as like his number one movie of the last couple of years or whatever. Mm-hmm. That scene, though, is just like so perfectly shot, so perfectly written. Like you said, it, it gives uh, further kind of um, uh, metaphors. It, it dives thematically into the rest of the film with the smell thing when the rich family finally does get back and they're hiding under the table. It's just like this movie uh, uh, in a little microcosm of a scene. And I fucking love that scene. And you know, uh, something I noticed. So before this scene happens and before the house, old housekeeper shows up at the door, um, the family is like getting drunk and they're having this discussion about like, Oh, what would you do? Uh, what would happen if they came home or whatever? Uh, and, the mom makes this joke to the dad that he would scatter like a cockroach. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when the family comes home, that's exactly what this mad dash scene kind of is. It's then like scattering as if you turn like the lights parasites. on a cockroach. Yeah. Like parasites. And then you, you can also question, which again, we'll get to later. Like who are the real parasites in society? Um, but anyway, yeah, it's just that scene seems so, it could seem so silly and comical. Like there's like, they're just like literally brushing things under the rug and mm-hmm. rushing around cooking the, the Ram or whatever it's called. And you could see that as just a transitionary scene, but I'm glad you pointed it out because it is so much more than that. Jack, do you want to spotlight a particular scene? Um, I think one of the good shots in the movie was after they had all landed jobs um, for the rich family doing their designated gigs. They're back at their uh, semi-basement 
and munching on something and talking about how awesome it is that they're all like employed now and I think they were like worrying about how many loads of laundry they have to do because the kid noticed that they all smelled the same. Um, but that whole entire scene, you can see the rock sitting on the shelf, mm-hmm. middle of the screen, basically for the entire shot. And so I just like all the rock stuff that they do in it. And I think the symbolism for it is good. And I thought another good shot for it with the rock was, shortly after they got it, when uh, Kevin was heading out to do his interview the first time, the mom's, like, in the bathroom washing the rock, mm-hmm. like, with a little toothbrush or something. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. another one with the rock that I felt was uh, pretty powerful was when it floated, like it floated to the top of the water when their, uh, when their entire house mm-hmm. was under it. Uh, you mentioned cinematography, and I was like, this is so bullshit that it didn't get nominated. Like this film was absolutely beautiful, but the cinematographer was uh Kyung Pyo Hong. Um, and it's bullshit that that didn't get a nomination for a, uh, uh, best cinematography, man. This movie's fucking beautiful. Uh, Kate, did you want to, f- uh, focus on a particular scene? Uh, a couple scenes in particular that, um, the sex scene. No, uh, we can talk about that. Cause that was kind of laughable to me. Um, <laughs> but, We've touched on them, so I won't like dig too deep into them. But yeah. one is that is um, the power of that scene um, that we talked about, where the the three are under the table mm-hmm. and the rich people are talking about how Mr. Kim smells. Because you've got them up high, you know. It's even their class dynamics are displayed visually. They're on the couch, um, on this comfy couch in their matching fancy pajamas, and these three are sweating, you know dirty drunk on the ground lower um and just i think the guy who plays the dad i I forget all their names um just the look on his face the way he smells his shirt um as they're talking just like broke my heart Mm -hmm. uh so that's just like just was a really powerful one for me and then another one uh, again we talked about was when they're uh the three the dad and the two children the poor dad and the two children are in that kind of displaced people um area they're like, uh, they're just trying to get some rest after you know trying to rescue what little possessions they have they're covered in shit water you know and um they're talking about the plan uh, the dad says if you make a plan life never works out that way this is the english translation um and he says like with no plan nothing can go wrong none of it fucking matters um and it's just like shaking this his son's kind of worldview i think a little bit um and I, it's I, just really fucking sad. <laughs> I think in that scene too, it's pretty interesting um, when the dad is laying with his forearm kind of covering his eyes, mm-hmm. which is, I think, a call to the yeah. title where they all have their eyes blacked out. Yeah. Um, so I just thought that was a little, a neat little toss in. By the way, like before we get into the themes, there's an article on RogerDeeper.com titled uh, Bong Joon-ho on the themes and crafts of his must-see film, Parasite, uh, written by uh, Tomaris Lathley. Um, but it's an interesting article that like where he he actually, the director himself, actually goes through some of the themes and stuff. So how do you guys want to tackle the themes? Do we want to each kind of go around and give one that we thought was like uh, pretty powerful? Because I think yeah. that what's cool about this film is like, it's it's thematically rich and there's a lot of scenes that uh, there's scenes like throughout there's scenes throughout the film that directly tie into these themes like brilliantly. 
Um, but one of the ones that I wanted to uh, focus on was the disconnect or the uh, ignorance of the of the upper class or the uh, you know like um, it, and in particular like the lights blinking and the rich mom is like oh it's must be broke but in actuality it's like the uh, it's the poor people downstairs trying to send a mig- a signal to them that they're not seeing. And it's kind of a. Uh, it's yeah. It's like I have it written down on my yeah. notes that uh, the blind are blinded by the money. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and you mentioned it earlier, like Kate, the that they seem to be like they're throwing a party when they're. It, it's basically like a fucking the whole downtown seems to be flooded and stuff and yeah. it's like they're they're just in their own little world kind of thing it's like not in my backyard so i don't care um they're just they're out of touch and they're tone deaf uh because they have the privilege to and it's like they were able to we mentioned how they were able to infiltrate this family and they were able to do so so easily because every time that they would uh get something on one of the helpers of the family uh, the mom or the dad would be like the park mom or dad would be like uh, just make it quiet and go away like just make it go away make it happen kind of thing <laughs> with no regard to like their job or finding out if it was true or whatever so that kind of plays into that theme as well well their help like to these to rich people and I think you see this a lot <laughs> a lot uh, the help are disposable to them mm-hmm. like they aren't they're not human beings with feelings and um families to support lives to maintain like they're just they're lucky to have a job here and if Mm -hmm. they mess it up that's on them jack um this might kind of ties in with what you said and it's a pretty obvious one i think but just class difference Mm -hmm. um like how when they're running home from barely escaping right after the family gets back from the camping trip they're running downhill the entire time like downhills and downstairs for Mm -hmm hours it seems like and um finally get to what appears to be like the very bottom of korea and that's where they reside and the rich live at the very top um and they're literally drowning almost in their home yeah trying to keep their head above water mm-hmm. yeah so yeah a lot of um, symbolic and you know visual reinforcement of the theme right. and like of the um this class dynamic of the rich up here and the poor down here. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and how much separation there is. It, the director is a really cool dude. Like, uh, like I said, this is from that, uh, that article that I, uh, just referenced, but it's like, he was talking about how all of us subconsciously almost like when we go to a party or we meet somebody, we shake hands and stuff like unconsciously we're thinking about the clothes that they're wearing, like the kind of bag that they're holding, like, are they using a new iPhone or an old iPhone or, you know, it's like, it's just like very unconscious, but like I, everybody kind of, that's just something he, he said, uh, he may be more sensitive because he's an artist, but he thinks that like, we all kind of, uh, do that, you know, in a sense. Yeah. There's certainly details that you, I clock, but I don't necessarily judge a person for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I find myself judging someone for it, I try to be self-aware enough to be like, oh, hey, check yourself. Like, why are you thinking like that? Um, I have another thing Let's that I, obviously you guys have touched on the, the main big one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, there's just like not avoiding that one. That's all over this movie. Oh, yeah. You got to mention class, man. But yeah. there's um there's a criticism in this film 
of this idealizing of Western and specifically American culture. Mm-hmm. So you see um, there's a focus in this film on the prestige of Koreans who attend American universities. Yeah. Like that brings more, you know, clout and weight. If you come back and you're, you've gone to one of these schools in America, um, they're buying American made products and assuming that they're better. Like the, the tents, the kids tent, they're like, Oh, it's American. Yeah. It won't leak. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. This, uh, <clears throat> obsession that the son has with American, you know, Native American stuff. And they're just like kind of bastard. <laughs> they're kind of appropriating a culture they don't understand um, with the headdresses and like the TP and, you know, all these things, the, you know, the bows and arrows and all this. Um, so they're, they're just like, they're turning what Americans do a lot to other cultures on its head. And they're like, they're doing it back to us kind of in this film. And then, um, and I should say Native Americans, not me. I'm white. Uh, but anyway, and then they, even at the party, they have kind of, when you think just Western in general, they have this European opera music and classical cello, you know, being played. It's not, it's not anything, um, you know, traditional to their own culture. And I think it's purposeful that they, they have, the director and the writers have put all this in. Um, and most notably, and this is not a visual thing or even just like a, a content thing, but there's this sense of individualism in this, even um, especially amongst the poor families, the, the, you know, the housekeeper and her husband and the dynamic with them and the poor con fam, conning family. Um, they say like, don't worry, don't worry about these other people that have gotten fired. Like, don't think about what their life is like mm-hmm. right now. Like focus on us, worry about us we're the people we're suffering. Like, don't worry about their suffering. Um, and that's a very kind of American individualistic way of thinking. Like as long as you better your own life, it doesn't matter who you hurt along the way. And you, yeah. And you kind of, and you see this happening on all levels of the, of class. We have it happening between the rich and the poor and you have it happening amongst the poor Uh, and you have, you see it happening amongst the rich. They'll eat anybody. It's dog Mm -hmm. eat dog. They just want to get more. Another one that I, noticed for sure was uh like how they think that they're like getting over on this rich family but really they're affecting like their own lives in negative ways uh the corruption of character is kind of like the big kind of like one of my big themes in this it's though thrown back to the old like the godfather kind of thing where or the breaking bad kind of thing where it's like he gradually they gradually get more and more corrupted and they think that they're deceiving this rich family and becoming like they think that they're getting out ahead, but really all they're doing is like ruining their own lives as well, because they were <laughs> likely much more happier. Well, obviously much more happier uh, in their house when they didn't have all this bullshit to deal with, you know, like the downstairs and the upstairs and all this other stuff before they got involved with all this. So I thought that that was an interesting. Well, and they've put all their eggs in one basket. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, and like, you know, it's yeah. like the grass is always greener. Oh yeah, scenario. Uh, you brought up uh, earlier like some of the symbolism, Jack, in this movie. Um, did you want to talk about like the stone? I know you touched on it a little bit, but like as because I took that to mean like hope or like what did you guys take that take the stone to mean in this movie? Uh, something general like that. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure exactly what it's supposed to represent, if it is supposed to represent anything specific, mm-hmm. but I just think it was nice how they brought it in. Um, 
with Min, and I think Min's an interesting character. Mm-hmm. Um, but and how it kind of develops, like they don't really talk about it too much. They show it a couple of times in scenes that we just talked about. Um, and I think it was really interesting what Kevin said at the shelter about how the stone follows him. Um, and then I think it's really interesting how he brings the stone with him before he goes into the basement towards the end of the movie to confront the prisoners, basically. Mm-hmm. And how he drops the stone. And so then now he has to follow the stone. So it's kind of like the stone is the rise of the family and the downfall of the family. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think at its core, and maybe I'm off about this, but this, the men kind of explains that this, you know, this artifact, this stone is meant to bring the family good fortune. Um, I think, I think the words he used were like, basically just, yeah, well, not even like that. It was, I think how he said it, it literally just meant like material possessions and material money. Right. Not, not like actual richness like personality richness or right happiness. it's it's not bringing like good fortune in this broad sense of like you know you know happiness in your family and contentment with your life maybe good fortune but like yeah like you said the focus is on these material things like money um things luxuries mm-hmm. um that this would attract that um and like you said that is leading them around and it's and even by the time you get to the end you'd think that kevin would have learned something from all this um not that any poor not that any poor money. person should like just settle for you know being poor and having like a tough life like that's not fair to expect people to just like be okay with it that's not what i'm saying here but when he thinks about what's the solution to all my problems like getting my dad freed and you know what is my solution for that how can i make that happen and it all boils down to i'm going to get rich one day and buy this house so that I, so that you can be okay so maybe the it rock, all comes down to like money's going to solve all my problems maybe mm-hmm. the rock is supposed to represent greed then because they keep um like they're getting blinded by the little money that they're getting and now as compared to what they had before and um the more money you get the less you see of you know what you're turning into mm-hmm. and um it kind of distorts what you want with stuff and so i don't know maybe maybe the rock represents greed yeah and there's it's a never-ending cycle right because it's like uh like it never stops like you're once you get into that cycle of greed and like um you think that you're going to get to the point where you're uh comfortable or like you're never going to stop wanting that kind of stuff. But if you go down that road to begin with, you know, it, like I said, it's the corruption of character kind of thing. You're always going to be searching for that. Yeah, um, how much will be enough? Um, right. And by the end, it sounds like as long as I can make enough to buy this house so that well, I can live with you so that you can be free. Um, that sounds like that would have been enough. Um, I, I don't, which is a lot of people just want a home that they can mm-hmm. call their own and their family to be free and to live like comfortably and not mm-hmm. dire straits. So I don't think that that is like something people should be told like, Oh, you're greedy for wanting just those basic uh, human needs. Like th- that's like a basic human, you know, right should be to have like a safe roof over your head and mm-hmm. 
for your to not like starve. Mm-hmm. What were you gonna say, Jack? <laughs> I think the greed is really shown by Kevin when they're right before the doorbell rings. He's telling them his plan to marry this yeah. high schooler, mm-hmm. and um, you know he's like, "Well, when I." marry them we'll hire actors we'll be rich enough and we can hire Mm -hmm. actors to play the parents and this house will be mine and um just really letting the money go to his head and getting a taste of it and just making too much of a plan for the future also yeah the levels of manipulation they'll go to to Mm -hmm. to get what they think is more and better well it's like when you hear those stories about like people hitting the lottery and winning like $300,000 $300,000 or like even more like you, you know in the millions and then like four years later they're like either dead or bankrupt yeah because it's like it's like almost everyone <laughs> dude it, it's like every one of them because as soon as they get it and I think he, he shows it brilliantly in this film like as soon as they're all in the house when they go camping like we said earlier like they all start like getting fucked up and like just eating stuff like eating everything eating badly getting fucked up like really doing reckless stuff where they should just so be like worrying things. about keeping the status quo. Cause like he said earlier in the film, they could all keep those jobs and just bleed this family forever, man. Mm-hmm. Like if they, if they were just patient and non greedy. Yeah. And they could live a comfortable life doing honest. Not, Absolutely. I mean, it, it would be honest work at a point. Like it didn't start out honest, obviously, uh-huh. but it would at a point like Kevin could go to school. Um, he could, you know, lie about you know what he's actually doing, but in the end, he could set himself up. His sister could have gone to school on the money, you know, they were earning. The mom and dad wouldn't be, you know, starving. Um, well, and really, and like, a slum. legitimately building those connections and stuff too, because it's like if you, like, if he really got in with the parks and stuff, if they really got in with the parks, I'm sure you know, like connections also like bring a lot of money and stuff too. It's like they would have probably uh, entered into that successful world by working mm-hmm. yeah, those jobs. They were like skyrocketing to the sun and Absolutely. they flew way too close. Yeah. And they just, they did it too fast too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Jack, do you watch a lot of, uh, this is probably something I should have watched you or, uh, or uh, asked you earlier, but do you watch a lot of foreign films? Like, um, do you get into a lot of foreign films? I haven't seen many. This is one of few. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm definitely on the lookout for some more. Yeah, that that's one of my, uh, and I'll admit this, that's one of my blind spots as well. Like, I've seen, like, Ring You and, like, uh, just uh, specifically focusing on horror. I've seen, like, uh, you know, a lot of, like, the big heavy hitters and stuff. Um, and every, like, the girl who... Uh, fuck what's that movie called the girl who uh kicked the dragon's nest or the girl with the dragon tattoo the girl with the dragon tattoo. yeah it's like swedish films and stuff like that i've seen my fair share of those but uh, they're doing so much inf- interesting stuff with asian cinema and uh korean f- cinema and stuff like that like um it, japanese yeah horrors. japanese it, japanese cinema it's really uh mind-blowing like what is going on like uh with international film nowadays mm-hmm. And I feel like they're like they're addressing like think of like Squid Game and you yeah. know, this movie and they're just addressing some like real societal horrors yeah. that mm-hmm. you know we are all going through like globally we're going through right now um, this like class warfare and like yeah and like yeah. the in in that sense like if you would put it in the um, if you would look at this with the American lens it's like the rock represents like the American dream and it's like uh, the American dream there's 
literal horror movies all over the place about the horrors of the American dream and how the American dream is like this facade. You mm-hmm. know, one of my favorite films of all time, Blue Velvet, starts with idyllic neighborhood, you know, red fire truck rolling by. It goes into the grass where there's bugs festering and, you know, under what's hidden underneath that idyllic America and idyllic American dream. It's all a fraud kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it... I kind of mentioned this question before and I'm curious your guys thoughts on it. Like the, if you on its surface, this film, I mean, it's called parasite. Um, and I'm glad you're getting, you, you could, you could look at it and say, Oh, these poor families, um, both of them are, are, have just been, you know, parasites kind of, you know, leeching off of these, this rich family and taking advantage of them or whatever. Uh, and that that would categorize them as parasites. But when you think about the rich, how do you think they get rich? They get rich on the labor of these poor of of people in the lower classes, um, and that's a parasitic relationship. So that's kind of how I see it. I think. <laughs> Which you know, who has the moral high ground? You know, really, like who's really should be calling anyone else a parasite? Mm-hmm. What do you think about the title, Jack? I always thought about it, meaning the conning family mm-hmm. going in and kind of just living off of another creature, like not mm-hmm. really detected, but like just constantly like sucking blood out of their brain or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, I think that's one of the brilliant things about the title. <laughs> like we've talked about how this movie is brilliant, like the whole show, but it's like even the title down to the title. Cause I think it wor- does work both ways. And like, that's how the, like the plot is so complex in that way, because you have that sucking family from underneath, but you also have that sucking family that's living on the top of the mountain kind of thing, just draining. Um, Yeah. When our systems and our society have created. You sound like, you sound like Bane right now. I don't care when. When Gotham is ashes. (laughs) Well, what they've, what it's created is. A situation where so many people are so desperate for basic human dignity mm-hmm. that they will go to these lengths. And, and is that should they like should that. they be villainized for being that desperate? Mm-hmm. Like, no, I don't think. Mm-hmm. And I why, think you, you could, there's a lot of unethical things that this family does, but it's that or starve. Mm-hmm. Like, what would you do in that position? You know what I'm saying? I don't know too much about the South Korean economy, but. Based off of that movie, I'm guessing that it has a lot of problems and like big inflation issues because the mom is talking like first time she interviews Kevin, she adds she says she added some for inflation, even though Min was probably tutoring mm-hmm. two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think I think Jack brought this up, but I think that's one of the cool things about this movie too, is that it and probably why it was you know, deemed best picture, like best picture and best film of 2019, 2020. I can't remember. Um, but it's like, it does relate to basically just capitalism across the world. It's like failing capitalism and like, uh, a lot of, uh, those American themes, like we brought up, like a lot of people can relate to this cause there's, it's happening. Like you mentioned inflation, like what's happening in America right now. Yeah. Like well, a lot of the cities in America. Are there's like, a story I literally just read. Um, do you guys remember the hurricane and like the huge storms that hit Houston a while back? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and had like whole swaths of the city, like underwater. Mm-hmm. 
um, especially in the poor districts, um, not unlike Hurricane Katrina, really, right. in a lot of ways. And an article just came out, um, and this these tex- these Texas um, government officials who were supposed to be handling this relief money and making sure it got distributed to all neighborhoods, all you know c- citizens. Um, basically gave zero percent of those those relief funds to the poor districts that are like primarily af- like black african-american latino people of color that live there and like they're being this is a thing people knew was were, was happening uh and these like more affluent suburban districts got like an insane amount of money oh, and yeah. they barely were affected the same in the same way and like they're being federally investigated now because of that. So like this Good. is happening all over and this the is world, like, but in America especially too. This this relates as well. This is like one of the last things that I'll say like about Parasite before we go around and get our like final rating on mm-hmm. Parasite. But um I just think it's like it's the ultimate like kind of fuck you Hollywood movie as well. And mm-hmm. I'll explain this with the fact that like it's it's punk rock in a sense that like this movie like you know, like Kate said, one of the angles is like a parasitic family sitting on top of the mountain and looking down and just draining. And it's like, look at Hollywood in particular. It's like has the like the highest homeless population, but it's like stars don't give a fuck. Like all the rich people in the Hollywood Hills don't give a fuck. They're just living. Like, do they really Glamorous care lives. that like like the homeless are like the, I think they're building like little things where they can't like lay on the ground and shit like anymore and stuff like that. It's just a nuisance for them. Like they want to look on and I just think it's very punk rock that this was like that it won best picture. And uh, honestly, kudos to the Academy for giving it rightly best film Mm -hmm. because that wouldn't happen in years past. All right. So Jack, I want to give you, I want to give you a chance to give a final rating for the film parasite. Okay. Um, out of five. Okay. Out of five, I'm going to give it 4.9. This is one of my... This is a top movie for me. Um, I never get bored while watching it. I think the characters are incredible. I don't think we had enough time to talk about the characters today, but mm-hmm. um, I think everyone did a really good job. The actors did a really good job. I think the characters were written really well, and the story was just amazing. Um symbolism themes it you know it checks all the boxes mm-hmm. um and so that's something that i appreciate a lot in a movie is when it's just all around well done and not no 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 real complaints for me mm-hmm. but it can't get a five what would get it to five uh there's no five out there uh really no disagree because no i give i would give this a five out of five <laughs> <laughs> i would give this a five out of five easily i don't think i'm as like uh tough i don't know um mm-hmm. And I, I think there's a lot of validity to people who are tough on movies. We have another guest, the show, Becky. She gives nothing like a five out of five. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, five out of five, I thought all the reasons Jack pointed out, brilliant themes, beautiful, beautiful acting, just intense. It felt like it flew by, but it was like an hour and 50 minutes or something like that. Um, but it just went so fast. And that's like a hallmark of a great film, like especially on your first watch when it just flies by like that. Um, and I mean, the only thing I would change would be 
that sex scene, which was like, has oh. this man ever touched a titty before? <laughs> well, I um, think I think it just goes to show his um, his detachment from reality. I think yeah, she's because like, like she was into it. It was mm-hmm. just like yeah, know. but like she's been like she's pretty simple mm-hmm. um and <laughs> she's been in this role of just like doing everything that he wants all the time like mm-hmm. the day of the party she's waking up like it, it was light outside and she was like oh honey go back to sleep like you must be tired and like she's running around calling a million people doing groceries all day and mm-hmm. just basically doing everything um that you know he thinks a standard wife should do mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So before I give my rating, uh, Jack mentioned something that we did not touch on, but I wanted to give you guys the opportunities to touch on because this is a uh, a tour de force film, of course, but the characters. Are there any characters that you guys want to do like single out or like anything like that? I would like to single out the dad, Mr. Kim. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he was a really interesting character, both him and Kevin. <laughs> um, but I think, not all the way, but to a certain extent, the dad, um, as opposed to the other three members of his family who I feel like idolize the rich um, and want to try and be like them, like you see it with Kevin trying to be like men, even in that scene, that fantasy scene at the end, I think his style and haircut were modeled after men. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the dad is almost disgusted by the rich just as much as the rich are disgusted by him. And I think you can see it with um, the couple of times that Mr. Kim talks about Mr. Park's wife to him mm-hmm. um, once in the car, like talking about like if he loves her and then. Oh, but you still love her, don't you? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And then <laughs> Mr. Park is like, yeah, we'll call it that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was brutal. All right. I'm so glad we uh, got into this because the characters are. Like it's it's blasphemy too that he didn't get like a nod or like um like I felt like several characters in this movie were just like brilliantly written. Uh, yeah, the dad was probably my favorite. Mm-hmm. What about you, Kate? Agreed. Agreed. What's your rating? Uh, I would put I would put it at a five out of five as well. Like uh, <laughs> <laughs> I give five out of fives all the time. Uh, like almost everything's a five out of five for me. No. Um. No. <laughs> not everything. Um. It's the highest rating for me. Like. And I think it's like, like I said, I watched this, I've watched this twice. I watched it for the second time today. And I think it's like one of the best films that I've seen in a long time. As far as like, uh, just first watch, first viewing, kind of fresh viewing. Um, but yeah, I think it's brilliant. I think it's brilliantly scripted. I think it's brilliantly shot. Um, I think everything about this movie is just like a perfect, uh, just, art piece man like from title to score to everything um and you can't really say that about a lot of a lot of movies no absolutely not do you want to know the most horror scene in this whole film we didn't even talk about yeah go ahead was it it's can i guess yeah go ahead guess are you gonna say when the son is eating the cake on the floor yes (laughs) yes it's a flashback the mom is saying like this she's telling about the traumatic event that her son went through like a couple of years ago or a year ago, or whatever, uh, where he's eating his, it's the middle of the night. He's gotten in to the fridge and gotten his birthday cake from that day out. And he's like eating it on the floor. Uh, and he looks over to where the basement, the entry to the basement is. 
And that crazy husband pops his head up just real slow, just his head. And you see like his eyes and his face. His crazy eyes. And then he goes back down because the kid obviously freaks out at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, Most horror thing in the whole thing. We didn't even mention it till the end. (laughs) A rich movie. um, And uh, Jack, I want to thank you for bringing this movie to us because it was a lot of fun talking about it. Producer Kate, thank you as always. Um, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Horrifying My Friends and on Twitter at Horrifying MF. Hit me a line at Travis Bar on Facebook and at Capped Creature on Twitter. Um, have a parasitic week. <laughs> Bye. Friends.